0: The reading of extra scriptural texts to set a context and an environment within which the New Testament arises as illuminating, but not ultimately determining by way of doctrinal or theological conclusions based on a careful reading of the New Testament scriptures. So the profile of Judaism that you find in Paul's epistles has to trump whatever we might think we've found outside of the New Testament.
1: Welcome to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss everything from Reformed theology, cultural issues, and all things seminary. This is episode 95, and I'm your host, Jared Luchibor. Thank you for tuning in. Concluding our series on the new perspective on Paul, Reverend Andrew Compton, Dr. Marcus Minninger, and Dr. Cornelis Venema survey the perspective's use of extra-biblical texts to make their claim. As well as offer their thoughts on further implications that holding to this new perspective can have, but
2: well, we did think we'd spend one more session here just talking through uh, some of the implications of the new perspectives on Paul. Um, again, some of our critique, although we're also trying to to analyze it in a in a fair way. So a few more things we thought we could look at. But one thing that we brought up, uh, if not in our last session, perhaps the, uh, the first um, episode that we recorded, uh, was this question of extra-biblical texts. And and we also talked about how, uh, how the Holocaust uh, really drove scholars to be careful about rightly representing Judaism. But, but I think that we need to to spend a little bit of time thinking about how the new perspectives on Paul treat extra-biblical texts, and really how we should, because that's an an important thing. It's not simply um, a matter of, well, do we pay attention to uh, texts from the New Testament era written by Jews uh, when we um, read the New Testament? Do we pay attention to those? But rather, the question is, uh, do those sort of have the, the main weight of interpretation, you know do we are we in the dark about what the new testament is really saying unless we understand these things or not and this is a complicated question you know we we have um we i think we can take for granted what we know about the new testament world sometimes we'll will assume uh, a bunch of things about it in our reading and we're very comfortable with our readings but we don't actually know certain institutions or certain belief systems that were popular because we haven't paid attention either to texts or to archaeological finds or to inscriptions or whatnot. Uh, so, so really, this use of Jewish texts does come to bear, or as we think about the perspicuity of Scripture. Now, I, I should even add, this isn't anything new. I mean, I think uh, on the one hand, biblical scholarship has been engaging with extra-biblical texts for a long time. In the 1800s, uh, there was the cracking of Akkadian and the cuneiform system, which which enabled scholars to start thinking about the relationship of these Mesopotamian um, epic texts, maybe about creation or the flood, how those related to the biblical text. So, so biblical scholars and theologians have been grappling with that question for many years and finding, yes, there's illustrative things we can find, but uh, but but does that somehow change... Uh, our reading of Genesis one and two, let's say, or, or the flood uh, account, generally scholar, I should say, believing scholars have said there's been an overreading, an overprivileging of these Mesopotamian texts. I think there's something else going on here as well. There's at times been an overprivileging of certain Jewish texts, particularly Jewish texts as they have been read very selectively.
3: You yeah. know, And I think that this is one of the basic tensions in dealing with new perspective scholarship is that there's not merely an effort to be more fair to Jewish texts. There is often an effort to sanitize them or defend them or say, Hey, Jews and Christians really have very little different between them. And, and that's not fair either. It's not even fair to Jewish texts or, or Jewish belief systems. I think one of the, Strong examples, though, that we, we can think about, you know, do we, Andrew, you're, you're posing the question, do we as believers, as Protestant Christians, et cetera, pay attention to the larger context and the evidence? Oftentimes we'll hear in sermons that Pharisees were legalists and they were the arch sort of, um, you know, extremists or something like that, that they, that they, that they, cl- um, classically represent Righteousness by the law, but the Pharisees in the time period were actually the moderates. Yeah, yep. the, the Essenes were much more extreme, and other groups like at Qumran, which is pr- probably Essene and its its uh, fabric. But the Pharisees were moderates. But what that shows again is that we need to pay attention to the spectrum, and even things in the moderate end of the legalistic spectrum are still things with which Christ and Paul and others directly and strongly disagree. So paying attention so that we don't misrepresent what sayism even is actually serves us greatly in our preaching mm-hmm. because we're not only knocking over the supposed extreme end of the perspective of the, of the spectrum. Uh, and, and only talking about crass legalism but we're talking about more subtle forms of righteousness by grace plus some works, right? In other words, that middle ground that Pharisaism actually was, it, Pharisaism is a kind of moderate compromise. But we have to defend and defeat moderate compromise too, yeah, right? Yeah. And Christ himself was doing that.
0: I think but, it's important also to note that the terminology Judaism can easily be used in a very broad, generic way. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's anti-Jewish to represent some feature or segment or at a particular point in the history of Judaism, a point of view, even a difference of perspective or a spectrum at the time of the writing of the New Testament. Uh, and in some of the writings of new perspective advocates, you, you have the impression that, the Protestant view on justification was opposed to the Old Testament, Mm or if mm -hmm. we may use the language of the Judaism that was original with what's given to us in the canonical Old Testament Scripture. And I'm always reminded of an interesting section in Gerhardus Voss's Biblical Theology where he makes it very clear that whatever you do with the law and God's giving the law and the administration of the Old Testament economy And what Paul says in his epistles, you do have to be sensitive to distinctions between what was within the purpose and intention and the institution as God administers the covenant historically redemptively Mm -hmm. and what Israel did with it, and particularly what may have been happening at the time of the writing of Paul's. So the simplistic way of saying And there may be quite a deflection within Judaism from the Old Testament standard by the time you get to the New Testament.
3: I think some scholars would prefer to talk about Judaism's to to reflect that diversity. And I think that is one of the basic good uh, upshots, Mm -hmm. uh, results of the New Perspective. Not what Sanders himself said, but the the conversation that he started ends up seeing more diversity In, in the New Testament itself. I think it's, it's very important for us to understand that, that Paul and others are opposing a spectrum of views yeah. that you can see on the face of the New Testament. If you look at the beginning of Romans 2, Romans 2, 4, Paul's, uh, first interlocutor there, as I would take it, who may or may not be Jewish, but there are certainly Jewish views that resemble what he says there. But, but what he actually goes against is, those who are presuming on the kindness and patience of God. That's not legalism in the typical sense that we think of it, right? It's actually, uh, he's saying, you're, you're um, presuming upon the fact that God's patient with you now, he'll be patient with you in the future, there's no going not going to be, you're, you're essentially setting up a double standard. Some Jews simply believed that God would apply a double standard to them because they were the favored nation right look at wisdom of solomon 15 uh 1 and 2 16 1 and 2 would be examples of something like that so that's that's um not salvation by obedience it's salvation by being jewish right Mm -hmm. but it's also not salvation uh properly conceived of it's that something about me namely my jewishness will recommend me to god for uh approval that's it's not correct either. Trust in temple possession. We see that in, mm-hmm. say, Jeremiah 7, 4. Do not say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Just because we have the temple, we're fine. That's uh, a wrong view. Trust in law possession. Not law obedience, law possession and circumcision. That's what Paul describes of his second interlocutor in Romans two seventeen through 20 and And Paul's the one who says, "Look, law possession isn't enough. Do you obey it right? So mm-hmm. the Jewish interlocutor there isn't insisting on obedience. he's just simply insisting on something that's much more dumbed down than that law possession, and then doing this one thing circumcision, or well, many Jews took a view of comparatively superior righteousness, not absolute righteousness through the law, but that I'm doing better than others, right It's probably really where Pharisaism comes in. Um, And there again, Paul says, you know, in Galatians, no, look, if you're going to take your stand, even partly under the law, if the law has a piece of this in terms of your justification of standing before God, then you need to obey the whole law. So it's, it's you're dumbing this down. Your legalism isn't even strong enough in a sense, right? Uh, And of course, you don't keep the whole law. And then you get to something stricter, like probably in 4 Ezra, Perhaps what's um, seen in the attitude of, say, the, the so-called rich young ruler, all these things I have done from my youth, right? Mm-hmm. That would be approaching a kind of strict legalism of people who genuinely believe that they had done the whole law, right? Again, a spectrum, but even believing that, no, we don't have to do the whole law, but we do have to do parts of it for our standing before the Lord. Paul would call that a kind of legalism and – the perspective tends to greatly muddy the waters there. Um, so we want to understand the context. They've pushed us to understand the context with more nuance, which is, which is to their credit. But we also have to be very clear on what grace alone is, as we talked about last time.
0: Well, what Marcus has been saying uh, leads me to make a general comment. One of the complaints of a lot of the new perspective authors, you find it especially in N.T. Wright, is a bit of dismay at the pushback from people like myself. Mm-hmm. I thought you were <laughs> the Protestant. you theologians. You're, you're Protestant. You believe sola scriptura, the ultimate standard of Scripture, and you're not even willing to take another look. <laughs> and I, I think that's a legitimate uh, pushing of the button. One of the things I've enjoyed about the topic in writing on it was I did have to go back also to... Can you imagine that of a systematic theologian trying to read the New Testament <laughs> scriptures and the epistles? Did the church get this entirely wrong? Uh, where does the truth lie in this question? And I think the uh, for myself, the conclusion was, no, on the doctrine of justification, at its core, soteriologically, the Reformation had it just right. You, there is no compromise with the law as it relates to... Our acceptance, our justification. And at the same time, the, uh, the new perspective did require, and does require us to be aware of what Marcus said about context, and even in our reading of the New Testament, it can shed light. I use the language of the reading of extra scriptural texts to set a context and an environment within which the New Testament arises as illuminating but not ultimately determining by way of doctrinal or biblical conclusion, theological conclusions based on a careful reading of the New Testament scriptures. that They have to stand in their own proper way as the ultimate measure. So the profile of Judaism that you find in Paul's epistles has to trump whatever we might think we've found outside of the New Testament. But I also want to make a, a general comment about Maybe this is a both-and comment. You, you get the impression from many authors of the New Perspective that you're either fixated on the soteriological, the individual, the narrow question of how can I find as an individual in the presence of God, quorum Deo, a merciful God. And I think this is reductionistic even in terms of historic Reformation theology, especially a with respect to reform theology, but also, in a sense, even Lutheran theology. I think in the crosshairs of the New Perspective is often a kind of, dare I use the language, evangelicalism mm-hmm. that is very disinterested in the church, the corporate, the social implications of the gospel. Me and my it's, personal relationship yes, with God. Exactly.
3: And sometimes and, very disinterested in sanctification right and, and disinterested in
0: sanctification and even the, the dominance of a certain strand, not historic Lutheranism necessarily but a 19th early 20th century existentialist a Boltman for example, kind of Lutheranism or Lutheran theology, which doesn't really fairly represent historically the position of the Reformation. certainly on the reform side, Many of these concerns about the social aspect and the corporate would be acknowledged. I think it's actually a a benefit of the discussion of new perspective teaching to recognize that even justification at its core has a pretty radical implication for who belongs, Mm -hmm. whether Jew or Gentile, whether slave or free. You can have a very articulate, doctrinally precise and accurate statement of the doctrine of justification and then be quite smugly self-righteous in your dealing with others, Mm -hmm. even within the church. The implications of justification should be pretty powerful in the way we receive one another, the way we accept each other in the Lord, the way we relate to each other, who, if God accepts how are we in a position not to embrace or accept one who's justified in Christ and right with God by virtue of Christ's saving work, even as we are? So there are aspects of that. And I don't think you can underestimate even what Marcus said in our first session about the whole issue of in the aftermath of the Holocaust. Whatever we do theologically in articulating the gospel, we certainly do want to do so in a way that maintains the uniqueness and the ultimacy of Christ alone is the one mediator between God and man. Uh, you can't bridge the divide, you might say, between unbelieving Judaism and whomever belongs, Jew and Gentile alike, to the Christian church by God's grace through faith in Christ. But at the same time that we not articulate a viewpoint that even if unwittingly, can be misappropriated. And there certainly is enough evidence in the history of Protestantism and even within some branches of Lutheranism uh, that the church was vulnerable to being taken captive by the so called German Christian movement and movements like that. And so this is a perspective that does raise legitimate sorts of questions and makes challenges us to be careful and more responsible than sometimes has been the case in the past. And a robust view of of um, salvation isn't exhausted by affirming justification. There is also the reality of those who are in Christ through his indwelling spirit, who are members of the body of Christ. They are being renewed, sanctified. They, they have at least the beginnings of new creation life by the working of the spirit of Christ in them, And those are not things that we should shy away from or be unwilling to not only acknowledge, but also emphasize in our understanding of the gospel that we avoid a reductionism that reduces the gospel word to sort of a narrow core and doesn't realize that those who are in Christ are a new creation.
3: I think part of what you're saying is that the Reformed, classically Reformed uh, theology has a lot of concern for some of the topics that the new perspective didn't see in late 19th, early 20th century Lutheranism in particular, as well as modern American evangelicalism. And so we do have sympathy for various of their concerns, right? Concern for the importance of obedience, Christian obedience. We don't want to characterize that as works that gets to be Unclear in what exactly you mean in terms of grace versus works. But obedience, yes. A concern for ecclesiology proper, not just individual soteriology. Uh, A concern for the full inclusion of Jew and Gentile uh, in uh, equal standing in the church, etc. And so there are a lot of problems in past scholarship that the New Perspective was properly seeing and seeking to respond to even if what they said by way of analysis and and replacement was oftentimes extremely unhelpful because extremely unclear they're onto some important issues but overall in the in in the big picture not a helpful um way of charting a path forward i i would say in class i round some of these things up and i only talk about some aspects of the new perspective but you know, modern Protestant descriptions of ancient Judaism have been reductionistic and unfair a lot of times, right? Uh, yet at the same time, so so there is that, and there are other concerns that we would sympathize with new perspective authors about, which we just mentioned. But on the other hand, Sanders putting all of Second Temple Judaism into one category called co- covenantal Gnomism is also reductionistic. Yeah, yeah. There's so it's not a good replacement, right? Um, and even in the midst of the diversity that was present in the Second Temple period, saying that Judaism simply wasn't ever legalistic isn't, isn't fair. There's a spectrum, as we've been describing. And when you put the question in a more Pauline way, did non Christian Jews of the Second Temple period believe that they would receive salvation in complete and utter contrast to all that they are in themselves and all that they do themselves, right? Radical grace. The answer no, that's not how they're describing things. And so it's not improper to see a, a sort of legalism, but you have to be clear about what you mean. We have to be clear about what we mean a lot mm-hmm. of times, and it pushes us to do that. And in as much as covenantal nomism itself Amounts to you get in by grace and then you stay in by a combination of grace and works. This is exactly the sort of thing that Paul does reject in Galatians 5, right? So we want to see that uh, there's a range of ways, in a sense, to be legalistic. There's a range of ways to believe that something about me, either who I am or what I have or what I do, makes it appropriate for God to bless me. Is that because I've obeyed the whole law. Okay. That would be one form of that view. Is it because I've obeyed some of the law more than other people? That'd be another form of the view. Is it because I have the law and I did and I practice circumcision? That would be an even more reductionistic version of the same view. Is it because I possess the temple and that's why I'll be saved? So I'm a temple possessor. Mm-hmm. Is it because I'm Jewish? Is it because I'm Irish? Is it because I'm German, Dutch or anything else? Right. <laughs> no. Nothing about what I am, have, or do recommends me to God as the basis for my being blessed and saved, right? That kind of radical grace is what Paul and Jesus and, and the whole New Testament um announce, and so it puts them into conflict with a range of views, both among Jews and among non-Christian Gentiles of, of the time period. So more nuance is needed, but The New Testament also, I think, very much provides that along with a clear sense of the standard of difference between grace and works that the New Perspective really, really muddled in an unhelpful way.
1: If you'd like to learn more about this assessment of the new perspective on Paul, check out Dr. Venema's book titled, The Gospel of Free Acceptance in Christ. Dr. Venema wrote this volume out of the conviction that Protestant churches need to reacquaint themselves with their rich doctrinal heritage, particularly their understanding of the gospel, the good news of free acceptance with God on the basis of Christ's redeeming work. Before abandoning the older perspective on Paul in favor of the new, believers need to understand exactly what they are being asked to abandon you'll find a link for the book in the description of this episode and you can also go to marsbooksonline.com next week Reverend Compton Dr. Mininger, and Dr. Beach are going to engage with the covenant of works for a little bit and hash out this thing called republication. You won't want to miss it. Stay tuned for that. For more episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.